Well, if you, uh, if you know me, you know that one of my favorite things to say is, <coughs> did you know that we have four sons and four daughters? I think that sounds cool, you know. It was, uh, we have four sons and four daughters. Our, our firstborn son's name is Kyle. And uh, when he was a little tiny boy, ah, he's an adorable little kid. And, and uh, we took him to the county fair one day. And he was a little tiny, and we said to him, how would you like to ride the bumper cars? And he's like, yeah. And we didn't, we didn't explain the principle of bumper cars to him. And I think what he was thinking is, you know, it's a race car. You get in, and then you beat the other people. You, you, you drive around really fast. And he didn't realize what was going to happen is people were going to try to run into him. And, uh, and we didn't tell him. And he was so little and, and kind of... Uh, tentative, and he had a little blue shirt on that day. His hair was blonde in the summer sun, and his little shirt was blue. And I couldn't stop what happened to him. We put him in there, and he smiled, and he was waving, you know, like, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. And then the thing started, and then he was the easiest person to hit because he was just sitting there. And so people just came around slamming into him. And the first time that happened, he looked right at us like, help me. It was the obvious help me look. And we were like, it's okay. And he was, you could tell he was thinking, it's not okay. Everybody's hitting me. What's happening? Why am I here? What's going on? You ever feel that way? You ever have that experience? So let me tell you what's coming in your life and why I chose to preach through the wonderful book of Daniel, because... There are going to be times in your life when you feel like you are surrounded and confused by a world system and people who do not know God and do not love God, and they don't particularly like you either. You will be powerfully tempted to have your deep desires and needs met in ways that don't please God or honor His Word or law. This will happen to all of us. It's going to feel like the world is run by people who don't believe the Bible or honor God, and you're going to be tempted to lose your faith in God sometimes. People who are admired in our culture, teachers, leaders, athletes, yes, even sometimes theologians and pastors will deny God and chip away at the truth of the Bible that you hold in your lap. They'll introduce doubts, and then they will try to fan those doubts into flame if they can. And you are going to be tempted to despair. You're going to be tempted sometimes to turn your back on the promises of God. And you're going to be tempted and pressured to compromise. And sometimes you will feel alone. And sometimes you will feel oppressed. And sometimes you will feel overwhelmed and injured and anxious and depressed and afraid and vulnerable. And you will be tempted to turn from God. And you won't understand what's happening all the time. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do wrong. Are you encouraged yet? So, these are true things. I'm, the older people here are going, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. And you're going to make mistakes and do wrong and feel like there's no way to get back to God. It's going to happen to you. Now, it is at times like this that I hope that you will remember the message of this amazing book of the Bible. The Bible is not a collection of sentimental sayings, even though you can find sentimental sayings in the Bible. The Bible is not a collection of inspiring quotes 
or myths to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's space and true time, truth from God. The book of Daniel is a historic record of things that happen that are arranged in a fascinating way to make a powerful point for people who feel like they are vulnerable and tempted and tempted to despair. And there is an epidemic of anxiety in our time. Everybody, anybody who knows and cares about people will tell you that. Maybe, maybe some of you. When I talked to a girl this week and she says, I can't take it anymore. I'm overwhelmed with that. She has so many pressures. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety. I think I'm having a panic attack. My heart is racing. Talked to a young man last week, same way. All Every week I talk to somebody who says, for whatever reasons, we're not really sure why it is. There's an epidemic of despair and anxiety in our time. And that is why we're studying this book. Because this book has some powerful things to tell us that will help us directly with those things that I'm talking about. And this is not just preacher talk. I am telling the truth. And so you see it in Daniel. And in particular, what we've done is we've taught through Daniel 1 through 7. We took a little break last week and uh, had the treat of um, hearing from Ty Perry with Friends of Israel. And I promised you that I would give you a little flyover. It's when dark times come is the title of my sermon today. Of course, it says nine because this is the ninth message in the series. All the good, good students have watched all eight of the previous ones. Um, and and uh, if you haven't, I'm sure you're going to scurry back online, watch them all to orient yourself. But I want to help you today, and here's why. When I was in the ninth grade, I took algebra. I'm not too sharp with math. Um, I'm not too sharp, but I'm not too sharp with math especially. So I thought, i got to really pay attention in algebra class, and, and so I did. I did pretty well. I was getting a B, which to me was pretty good, really good in algebra. And about midpoint in the year, my parents moved, and, then, and I found them, and I moved with them. <laughs> they Oh, I was trying to get away from me, and I found him, and, and uh, then went to the new school, and the new guy was in a, on a different page of the algebra book, and I was lost, lost with a capital L, and this man, who was a nice guy, had no, no skill to catch me up, or, no, or probably very little desire to do that. He was just like, let the dumb kids weed themselves out. You know, that was his teaching philosophy, I think. Um, and he liked the little smart people that were all good at algebra. I was lost. I, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to you because the message of Daniel is so important for you that I want to make sure you stay oriented in the message of Daniel. And so what I want to do today, I promise, is I want to review one through seven. I think you'll find this interesting Daniel used a fascinating literary device. So don't stay with me here because this is really interesting. The way Daniel wrote this argument isn't like, it doesn't go left to right like we might expect it to do. It's not a deductive argument where he makes the point and then he supports it. It's not an inductive ar argument where he gathers his stuff and then makes a point. It's, it's more sophisticated than that. And it was common in the ancient literature of the Near East at the time and it was a, it's a pronounced feature of this book, and the original reader would have immediately seen it, which we wouldn't see it because we're reading it all in English, but it was written in, in two different languages. Now, 
Um, here it is. The book is introduced in Hebrew briefly, and then it shifts to Aramaic language, and then it shifts back to Hebrew. And that's a big flag. It should be a big flag for the original reader. We go, what is he doing here? Why is he doing this? Why is he written it this way? And it's to emphasize the main idea of the book, which you're going to find to be powerfully helpful and practical to you. In the Babylonian or the Aramaic section, there is an obvious kind of reverse parallel in the way it's laid out. I'll show you this in a second. It's called a chiastic structure or chiasm. And it's, a, it's like an out and back literary device where the, the, the material is introduced A, B, C, and then in the next chapters, it's C, B, A. Let's look at this slide, and, and it will give you, I'm sorry about the size, you can only imagine. You just have to imagine what it says. Or what you can do is you can look on your phone, and God is watching you while you're doing this. You can look on your phone and look up BethelJackson.org, and you can look at the notes, and it's bigger there, but if you look at something else, we will know. Um, but anyway, so, but w- what I'm saying is, if, as you can see this, the yellow here are, are chapter 2, verse 4, where the Aramaic begins, and, and chapter 7, 1 through 28, the whole chapter 7. So chapter 2 and chapter 7, they're yellow. Notice they, remember this, the prophecy of the four world empires is in chapter 2, and it's an image that, remember, Nebuchadnezzar's image. There's a prophecy of four world empires that represented as beast in chapter 7. But do you see that's kind of alike? It's the four successive world empires. And he begins with this in the Aramaic section. He ends with this in the Aramaic section. The next chunk is chapter 3, which is a display of God's power to deliver his servants from the fiery furnace. Remember that? Then chapter 4 in white here. It's God's judgment on a proud ruler. Remember, chapter 4 is about Nebuchadnezzar's humbling. And chapter 5 is about Belshazzar's humbling. So here together, these work together. So the yellow works together. Are you tracking with this or is it too small to raise your hand if you get it? Good, yeah. Um, The yellow, in other words, these are like, these are like, and these are like. You see that kind of sophisticated, unusual structure? And this, and here's what we would tend to do in the English Bible. We would look at it, we go, oh, I get it. Those are stories in 1 through 6, and those are prophecies in 7 through 12, but you wouldn't quite be right. It's like, again, it's like putting back breaks together, again, after you've taken them apart. My dad always said, if you have pieces left over, you don't have it right. And what you do is, if you say, if, this was super helpful to me um, to understand the Bible. If you say, oh, look at that, those stories from 1 to 6, and prophecies from 7 to 12, but wait a minute, you have a prophecy in 2. And you have a story in, later in the second section. So it doesn't work perfectly. You have a part left out. But if you look at the Aramaic and the Hebrew, you can see this very clearly. And what I've done here today as an overview for us, that it's going to have a really practical, encouraging effect. You should be able to leave with a spring in your step and an encouragement. Is I'm going to take my basic ideas out of this or recognize the basic ideas that Daniel gave us he has obviously got three points. Do you see that? And he makes each one how many times? You are super sharp people. That's why I hang out with you. He has three points, and he makes them both twice. He has three points, and he makes them both twice. See what I did there, Leo? That's pretty smart, wasn't it? Anyway, <laughs> now, now I have to do this without puns, so you know, it's not easy for me, uh, Pastor Leo. Um, it's, uh, some guys are punny and, and other guys are not. And anyway, 
So you have this Daniel Wallace from the Dallas Seminary points this out, and it was super helpful to me. Here's what we're going to see, though. We've seen it, and we're going to see it especially. It gets real ugly in 7 through 12, and that is this, and that's why I started my message the way I did. Dark, demonic, difficult times of temptation are coming for God's people in America. Guaranteed. Dark, demonic, difficult, <laughs> depressing times of temptation are coming, and we are going to be tempted to despair. And this book is for people that are going through that. And that's why we're in this book. My dad always taught me, sometimes a pastor should use the Bible like an apothecary, he said, which means sometimes a pastor should diagnose the needs of the people that he preaches to, and he should go to God's Word and find the thing they need and give it to them. And that's what we're doing right now. We're preaching through Daniel because you need Daniel. We're preaching through Daniel because you are going to face temptations that are dark, and your kids are going to be prepared to face times when they are going to be tempted to despair and turn their back on God and listen to the voices of this culture in their ear. And you want to prepare them with your example and with your prayers and with your judicious acts of love so that you can rescue them from that. This is a life and death matter. This is important. This is why Daniel gave this. And so these are the three points that Daniel made. I'll tell you, we have a slide for this. It is online if you want to look at that or you can just listen to me and I'll tell you. They sound really simple, and they are, and yet they are profound in their simplicity. Let me tell you the three, three things that Daniel wants to make clear in times that are dark and difficult, in times when we're tempted to despair. There are the three things that Daniel makes clear in these three points that he repeats twice. One, God controls the rise and fall of human kingdoms. Number two, God delivers the faithful. Fiery furnace, lion's den. God controls kingdoms. Number one, image, Nebuchadnezzar's image, four beasts. God controls the rise and fall of kingdoms. Number two, God delivers the faithful. Lion's den, fiery furnace, lion's den. Number three, God humbles the proud. Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, you and me, God humbles the proud. Now you think, I'm not sure I'm encouraged. You should be. These, if these things are true, and they are, this is powerful. Think, think about this. Where in the world do you get to go where someone's going to tell you something that's God's truth for you? Where in the world are you going to go when somebody's going to say, you can build your life for generations on these things? Where are you going to go where they can tell you that? The only place that you can go is where someone is faithfully teaching the very word of the living God. And so we have the very word of the living God given to us in this artful and beautiful form with stories and predictive prophecy built into it. And the big ideas are very plain and they're not hard to see. God controls kingdoms. Chapter 2, the image. Chapter 7, the beasts. He says it over and over again. It happens to be, though, ironically, in chapter 4, where he says it most plainly when he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to these passages I'm re reviewing. This is from chapter 4 and verse 17, 417. The, this sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy Ones to the end. 
that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowest of men. There's a bald, plain statement. God is, and we, this is what we call the sovereignty of God. Sovereign sounds like a king word. And we believe the Bible teaches plainly God is sovereign over everything, including the most powerful and threatening things. God is sovereign over all the kings and kingdoms in the world. They rise and fall at his command. There, chapter 4, verse 25, repeats it in the end. Till you know the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whom he will. And you could easily say during that time, it doesn't look like he's ruling right now. People that are faithful are getting tossed in the fire right now. Like, never doubt it. God is in control. Some of them are laying down their lives as martyrs, but God is still in control for his glory. In verse uh, 32, until you know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men, and he gives it to whom he will. He repeats it in chapter 5 when he's uh, in the incident with Belshazzar in verse 21, until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of mankind, and he sets over it whom he will. Now, it's hard to believe that when you're going through trouble. It's hard to believe that when you've been mistreated. It's hard to believe that when some injustice has been done to you. It's really hard to believe that when it's like you got a bad hand dealt to you, or it feels that way. It's hard to believe that when something terrible visits your home. Had an old lady in the church, if I could say it, had the greatest reverence for her, Dorothy Hall. She's with the Lord. She could make the five bean salad, but that's a story for another day. Dorothy was a farm, farm wife, and I went out to her house to visit her. I loved to visit her. And she lived alone, and, and I was standing on her back porch. And I was talking to her one day. I was telling her about something that was on my heart that I was burdened about. She said, let me tell you a story my veterinarian told me once. She said, we had a cow that we depended on. It was really important that this, this cow was sick. We called the veterinarian. And he went out there, and he, he had came back there, and he stood on this porch, and he said, that cow's not going to make it. And she said, it was just like, that was terrible, terrible, terrible news for us. And we all sucked in our breath, that cow's not going to make it. And he said, well, I don't know if this is helpful to you. He waited a while, and he was quiet. And he said, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but I know you people are believers, and you should just thank God that this sickness is out in the barn and not in the house. So sometimes that's a comfort. But what happens is that sickness is in the house. Somebody you love sick or dies. Your faith is shaken to the core. Then you, can I tell you what I believe will be the most powerful comfort to you? Is God in control of everything good and evil that he can make good come from evil? Do you see how important this is? Daniel says you're about to face dark times but you understand God's in control of everything, even if it doesn't seem like God's in control. Never doubt it. Never doubt God is in control. You say, I had no idea I was going to be single in this age. I had no idea I was going to be single again. I had no idea marriage was going to feel like this, look like this. I had no idea that was going to happen with my kids. Do you believe that God is in sovereign control? I was mistreated one time in a real injustice that included my whole family, my family was mistreated. I was mistreated. It was so unjust. I was telling the Lord, Lord, you know this is wrong. What this is saying is wrong. 
And all the time I'm ministering, I'm preaching, and, and every time I'm preaching, I'm thinking, God, I believe that you're in control of everything, even people who have said things about me that are not true. And Lord, you know they're not true. I'm going to trust you with this. I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. And some of you have heard this before, but I was traveling, and I was on a mountain in Kentucky, and I was just crying out to the Lord, and I was asking him, please tell me what you're doing, you know, and I will do whatever you say, but tell me what you're doing. I said it very reverently. I love you, Lord. I trust you, but please, would you tell me what you're doing? And, and the word I got back in my heart, which some of you are going to have heard this, was so clear. It was like, just do what I tell you. You just do what I tell you. You go where I tell you to go. You do what I tell you to do. You say what I tell you to say. That'll be enough. And my heart was so light. This is the sovereignty of God. You see? Believers need to get this. Believers need to say, okay, I trust you, who you are. You're in control of everything. If you're doing, if you're doing something I don't understand, I know it's good. And someday I'll praise you and thank you. And so you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. This is what Daniel is trying to embed in the hearts of the Babylonian exiles, the, the, the Hebrews in Babylon, and what we should have embedded in our hearts. If God can control kingdoms, he can control everything, and he can turn it to good. Second thing, number one, God controls kingdoms. Sovereignty of God. By the way, Eddie, you remember this. You went through a study of the sovereignty of God. And uh, it was a profound year of growth for you, wasn't it? You said that. I would recommend that to you. Take your Bible, study the sovereignty, not just in salvation, when we always talk about it. Just study the sovereignty of God. It will be a powerful comfort to you to realize nothing gets to you that doesn't pass through the fingers of a loving God first. Trust Him and never doubt. Second, God delivers the faithful. God delivers the faithful. Furnace, chapter 3. Lions, chapter 6. I have lots of books everywhere. I have hundreds. Okay, I, I, I'll be honest. I have thousands. I have thousands of books. Okay, there, I said it. I have hundreds of books back here behind us where they don't really belong. I have hundreds and hundreds of books in my study. I have thousands of books on my Kindle. Do they even really exist, you know? And then I have my landing library. Can I tell you about my landing library? It was your idea, Dr. Dave. You know, he was helping us move in, and there is a landing outside of our bedroom on the second floor of our little farmhouse, and it has a wall that goes like this. It's a blank wall. And when we walked by, Dave, I remember you going, bookshelves. I'm like, that's a good idea. You should see it. It's really sweet. If you go to the landing, it's got six bookshelves, six, eight, six, seven, six and a half feet high, floor to ceiling almost, and bookshelves. Now, these are my books I have close to where I sleep at night. These are precious to me. These are the good ones, the really good ones. The books, and you know what they are? Well, they're stories, of course. The stories about people who went through terrible hardships and trusted in God. And they're my favorite. The best stories you will ever read, the best movies you will ever watch are about people who went through terrible hardship and did not yield to despair. That's what Daniel did with these stories. We're going to throw you in a lion's den. Okay, kill me, but I'm going to trust God. We're going to throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. Do what you got to do. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to grow old. I'm going to be an old lady single. Well, be an old lady single trusting God. There are worse things hate to say it, but 
I can introduce you to ladies that would say, there are worse things than being single. Sorry, ladies, it'd be good if you didn't say amen right now. Just kind of like, we don't want to get anybody in trouble here. <laughs> yeah. God delivers the faithful. He can deliver the faithful. He can deliver you. Like what, that deliverance might not look like you want it to look because sometimes like John and Betty Stam, they served the Lord in a short life and they went to heaven, but they've been in eternal bliss since in the presence of God, joined the presence of God because he promised us, he didn't promise us no suffering. He didn't promise us we never lose a child. He didn't promise us nobody ever hits us, runs into us. He didn't promise anything like that. He promised us abundant and life eternal and abundant. That's what he promised. He's able to deliver. Look at chapter 3 and chapter 3 and, and verse 17. You, you got to love these. Um, they, they say, we're going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, their Hebrew names. We're going to throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. Ne oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's a spirit you want to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give you. I will still serve you even if you choose to allow me to die like you did your son Jesus. And then chapter, uh, look at verse, I said verse 18, but, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. So if you're a young person here, I want to speak directly to you. You've got to come to this, young people. You've got to come to this. You have to come. Your mom cannot do this for you. She's wonderful, but she can't do this for you. You will not be with your mom when this happens. You will be tempted to doubt the promises of God. You will be tempted to yield to that desire for pleasure or acceptance or to fill that hole of, for love or whatever that is. It will be a custom-made temptation just for you, and you will feel that very powerfully. And there has to be something in you given to you by the Holy Spirit of God that says, I will not serve that God. I will not serve your gods. I will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if it costs me everything. Young ladies, can I say this? You're, uh, you're uh, maybe you desire marriage. Maybe you desire, many, many, many young women do. Maybe you desire marriage. And you think, you look around, you think, you, maybe you saw that wonderful wedding yesterday. We all kind of enjoyed seeing that. But who doesn't love a love story and the affection that was shown? And then you think, is there somebody going to love me like that? And you are going to be tempted to compromise what you know is right. And I'm going to tell you like a grandpa, like a dad, ladies, young ladies never even consider dating a young man who hasn't already shown he is consecrated to God. And if he doesn't know God, tell him, you know, lots of old elders that would be happy to coach him. You're not going to do it for him. Just, just listen, you just say, I will, I will marry a man who's consecrated to God and he's already shown that he's consecrated to God or I'll just go ahead and die single and get my reward in heaven. Young men, you can translate that for you too. And in other words, believe the promises of the Bible and trust them. Maybe you're on the other end of things and you're wondering if you're gonna, your money's gonna last as long as your life and you see inflation just going out the roof and you, and you lay in bed at night and you're worried. 
the God that you have trusted all your life is still trustworthy. You can still trust him. This is what Daniel would tell us when we face dark times ahead. Maybe it's like I have had some injury that comes back to my mind a lot. And I am tempted to think of creative ways that God could show his vengeance on those who have harmed me. And then I'm reminded that the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. God says, I'm better at this than you are. That's not your job. If they need to be punished, I will take care of that. And by the way, I didn't annihilate you the first moment that you did something unconscionably bad. Now did I? You know, that kind of thing. God delivers the faithful. One more thing. God humbles the proud. Two ways to take this, obviously. One is if you're proud, humble yourself fast, for he has to do it. But I think in the, in the context here, we should see it as God, those who are going to harm us, God can take care of them. Those that injure us, God can take care of that. Those who are in power right now and they're oppressing those of us who are weak. Those that have money and they're oppressing those that are poor. Those that are of a privileged class or race or whatever and they're oppressing you, the group that you are a, a part of. We must believe that God will be just even when other people are not just. Even when we fail to see justice clearly, he sees it clearly. And he makes this really clear in his word, in the examples that are very powerful in Nebuchadnezzar, in Belshazzar, he is able to humble the proud. He is able to control kingdoms. He is able to deliver the faithful. He is able to humble the proud. Can I get an amen from the faithful today? God is able to do those things. Do you, will you trust him? Will you walk in faithfulness to him? Will you not turn your back on God and give in to despair? Will you show your children and your grandchildren a faithful example until the very last beat of your heart. You see, in the end, we need to remind us ourselves that this is what the whole book is about, and it's kind of a revelation just echoes this, the book of Revelation at the end, it just echoes Daniel's message, and that is, in the end, Jesus, the Ancient of Days, the stone that comes out of the mountain, he wins everything. He's the great conqueror, and those who are in him conquer with him and in him. In the end, he wins, and Jesus is Lord of all. He is the victor, and those who follow him are victorious. They're more than conquerors. That's what he said. So Jesus is pointed to, he's foreshadowed, I think, in every chapter here. In chapter 1, I see Jesus as the satisfying food. He said that about himself when he was on earth. I am the bread of life. He fed the 5,000, and then he went to Capernaum the next day, and guess what his text was? I am the bread of life. I think that's pretty cool. If you had like, I remember how that bread tasted yesterday. Oh, Jesus is going to speak in the, in the synagogue today. And when he gets up, he says, remember yesterday? I am the bread. Who can say stuff like that? If I got up here and I said, I'm the bread of life, you'd go, somebody get him off of the platform. He's out of his brain. He's out of his nut. Get him off of the platform. Not Jesus. He spoke with great authority and, and people knew he was the heart of all satisfaction. I see Jesus in the food in chapter 1. He is absolutely the stone of chapter 2. He is in the fire. I believe the Christophany, a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the fire in chapter 3. He, how can you not see his mercy in the shoot from the stump in chapter 4? He is the handwriting on the wall of judgment in chapter 5, in case you only know the hippie Jesus, who's not going to come back in flaming vengeance, fire, taking vengeance on those who don't believe. 
Jesus is pictured as Daniel himself in chapter 6, almost like a resurrection. They sealed the tomb and he came out again. And he is the son of man in chapter 7. So what am I getting at? Listen here. Fix your eyes on this Jesus. Fix your heart on this Jesus. Fix your affections on this Jesus and not that other thing that you're tempted to, to uh, lust after or to, to believe. Seeing Jesus corrects that nearsight, that myopia, doctor, nearsightedness. Seeing Jesus corrects that I can only see the things near. I can only see what I have right here, my little toys that I'm gathering, and I can't see there's going to be a judgment of God someday. There's going to be reward that lasts forever. It corrects spiritual nearsightedness, myopia, seeing Jesus. May all God's people be encouraged and hopeful and faithful and never despair. That's what Daniel was trying to say here. That's what Daniel was saying. May all God's people, even the ones in Babylonian captivity, be encouraged and faithful and hopeful and never give in to despair. And may God's Bethel people be encouraged and hopeful and faithful, even when you feel like your body is aging and your money's running out and your kids aren't doing what you hope they would do and your marriage doesn't feel like it really ought to feel. Is there a God in heaven? And is the Bible his word? And is Jesus his son? And if the answer is yes, we follow him until we die and we go to our reward. That's what Daniel is telling us. Don't you love this book? I'm so thankful for it. And may God's enemies repent and submit to God. And may you repent and submit to God. If that's you, God wins. Therefore, we should be valiant and faithful in dark times. Now, the good news here is this, and that's the firefly principle is now in effect. Do you remember the firefly? Raise your hand if you remember the firefly principle. Raise your hand. Okay, come up and tell it. No, okay, so I'll tell you again that, that you guys must remember this stuff. The firefly principle is this, simply stated, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. If you live east of the Mississippi and you go out in the summer, you see fireflies on a summer night. And aren't they beautiful? But their light is very small. They're beautiful because the darkness is so deep. There's hope in that. You and I soon are going to be in a great minority of those who believe in Jesus. But the light will be beautiful. It will be beautiful because the night will be so dark. The young people, the firefly principle is in effect. My son sometimes will call me from New Mexico and he'll say, Dad, I want to tell you a firefly principle story. And he'll tell about, you know, something like he got, he would, I'll just tell you this little story. So, so Danny, my son is a police officer, walks in to the room where the guys are prepping. I forget what it's called. And one of the guys, he's joking, goes, all right, everybody, uh, Pierpont's going to pray now. Well, the guy was kidding, but Dan didn't know that. And so my son Daniel just took his hat off and he started to pray. And then they all started to laugh. They go, hey, we're just kidding. We're just kidding, man. We weren't, we weren't, we weren't serious. He goes, well, and Dan goes, it's not something to joke about. If you guys need prayer, I'm happy to pray. Not a joke. Um, firefly principles in effect. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. Young people, listen, even if you're just polite, people don't expect young people to be polite today. Even though many are, people don't expect that. So if you're polite, you're standing out. If you're kind and, and you know, civil and thoughtful, uh, you're, you're outstanding. Uh, last night at the wedding reception, uh, Dominic's best man gave a little talk there. So many times I've heard the best man try to be dirty at a time like that, try to say something, you know, racy or off color. Here was a devoted Christian young man who's commending the groom for walking with the Lord. 
And I'm like, firefly principle. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. You kind of go, where do you get young men like that today who stand up for God, who speak for God, who love God? Daniels, Esthers, those kind. That's what we, this can still happen today. And if it happens today, it'll be more outstanding because the night around, this is so dark. This is what, this is hopeful. Do you see it? This is hopeful. And there are going to be lots of people who are in despair who are going to come like the church. We literally right now, it's a small thing, but it's a real thing. Have a little movement of people coming to our church that we didn't invite. Young men coming and saying, I need some help. Young men, sweet, I need some help. And they'll spend hours listening to teaching about God's word. Hours. We have the world's best men's breakfast ever. We had Brio's as big as your head yesterday with sausage gravy on top of that. It's, uh, it was pretty good. And, uh, and, and young men coming, you know, and sitting down, and then the older men of the church loving on them and praying with them and teaching them. There's a little movement right now. God is sending us people. I, I had a young man he called, and he's interested in some counsel, and he's just been clinging to God and listening to counsel. And I was talking to him the other day, and I brought up a thing about cherries. I said something about cherries from Traverse City. And when I said that, he goes, Cher- what, cherries from Traverse City? What, what made you say that? I go, I was just telling you the story. He goes, I had somebody just earlier today, or it was yesterday, t- telling me about that. That's really odd. You would both say that. I was driving my car, and I went under an overpass, and there was a huge truck and the tr- and the, from Myers. It said Meyer, kind of small. The entire side of the truck was cherries that went over the overpass. Now, I'm a mystic, right? So when I see something like that, I'm going, okay, wait a minute. I don't see it all the time. I was just talking about cherries, cherries. I, I, here's what I believe. I believe that God was telling me, you're on the right track with this kid. Keep teaching him. I sent him. I'm in this. God is in this. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. There will be a handful of desperate people who need to know what you know. Isn't that wonderful? You get to tell them that. And when I was at Moody, I was in the grad school, and I was up on a, a, a higher floor alone one night, and I was looking out over the city of Chicago and all the beautiful lights of the city over the city in the Lake Michigan and the Lakeshore Drive. You could see the cars going up and down Lakeshore Drive. And I remembered something that uh, Joe Stoll said when he was the president of Moody. He said that Mayor Daley one time was talking to him. And Mayor Daley, the mayor of Chicago at the time, said to him, President Stoll, I want to tell you something. When the students in September, when the students of Moody come back to Chicago, he said, it feels like lights went on all over the city of Chicago. It feels like lights went on all over the city of Chicago when the Christian kids from Moody come back. In Moody, we had a thing like a lot of Christian colleges have Christian, what was it called? Practical Christian work assignments. And you couldn't graduate from Moody unless every single quarter that you were there, you had a practical Christian work assignment where you went out in the city and you served somewhere. Veterans Hospital or Children's Program or Food Bank. And the kids would just go out on their practical Christian service and they would be a light in the city. Lois and I have a thing we say, we're different, so we disagree about things sometimes. But when we find something we agree on, it's kind of sweet. And one day, years ago, I walked in the kitchen, and she had found this little light. It was a, it was a cute little light. And she put that light in the, in the kitchen, and I said to her, I love a little light in the kitchen all night. And she goes, me too. And I said, let's make that our thing. A little light in the kitchen is always on. And she goes, okay, that's our thing. 
And you know, I talk about my place, I say, it's always a beautiful day on Bittersweet Farm and a little light in the kitchen, it's always on. You know, Jesus said something like that. I would say to us, Bethel Church, let's agree to keep the light on for the darkness out there is so deep and let's not despair. Matter of fact, getting ahead of myself ever so slightly, and I'm almost done, just seconds here, just seconds. Here's what it says in Daniel 11, 32. Uh, he'll seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people of, who know their God will be strong. They'll, they'll be strong and do exploits. Those who know God will be strong and do it. They'll stand firm and take action. They'll be strong and do exploits. And in Daniel 11, 12 and verse 3, it says, and those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine and like the stars forever. The firefly effect is still in effect. Firefly. Pastor Leo is going to bless you.